Good morning, everybody. How are we doing? There we go. That's a little better. Hey, uh, today is week nine. Week nine in our Prove It series. Uh, we are almost done, all right? Next week is our last week in the book of James. Uh, and it has been a blast going through this book. Uh, and I'm, I'm excited for today, but before I talk about today, I really wanna go and talk about next week just a little bit. Uh, we're gonna finish up the series. We're gonna finish up the book of James. Uh, and so it's gonna be a special Sunday. Not only are we finishing it up, but next Sunday we are also going to, to, to do communion next week. So it is gonna be a great Sunday, a special Sunday. I'm really looking forward to it. And so uh, you wanna make sure to be here next week as we have communion together, uh, and it's gonna be a good time. But today, we're gonna be in chapter five. You can follow along in the Bible app, uh, or you can follow along in your scripture journal, whichever you prefer there. I would encourage you just to take notes. It's one of those things that uh, it helps you remember things. When you do things more than one way, it helps you to uh, remember them. So before we jump into the word, uh, let's take a minute to pray. Done this the past few weeks, we're gonna do it again. All right, arms out. Palms up, not cross your arms, put one on your other shoulder. No, hey, <laughs> hey, not the Macarena, hey, just hands out like this, not the Macarena, but just a posture, a posture of surrender. Let's close our eyes, uh, take a deep breath, just, just focus on the fact that God is uh, near to you. Uh, he's just as near as the breath that you're breathing. Uh, and he has no desire to shame you or condemn you. He is near to you because he loves you because he wants to have uh, an intimate relationship with you. So God, with this posture, we, we pray that this morning, God, we want what you want. Would you uh, feed us with your word? Would you fill us with uh, your spirit? Would you change our hearts? And would you bless our time together in your word this morning? And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, did you know that when the Bible was written, uh, it was originally written as letters to one another. And so maybe it was uh, like the book of Romans was uh, Paul writing to uh, the group of believers, a church in Rome. So it was actually just a letter. And so um, they didn't have the chapters and the verses on there like we are accustomed to. So we're used to like going through books and the Bible and it would have X number of chapters, have verses with each one. Um, and that's not how it was written originally. Originally, it was just one like lump sum thing, and they would give it to someone. Uh, now, could you imagine if someone wrote you a letter, right? Let's just say like 12-page letter, front and back, right? Front and back. So maybe some of you guys got that. But hey, if they had that much written and they wanted you to look at one specific part of it, it'd be helpful to have the chapter and the verse so that uh, you would know where you are. So the the author uh, for each book did not include chapters or verses uh, in their writings. It was added later so that we, as a gathering of believers, can get into the Word and we would literally be on the same page. That's why those were added. So I said we're starting in chapter 5, but actually, as we finished up chapter 4, I left a verse off, the very last verse of chapter 4. Uh, and I think you got to remember, these are all interconnected. You wrote this book all at once. But I think that last verse in chapter four really ties very well into what we're gonna read today in chapter five. So uh, here we go. James four, verse 17. You know the drill. What are we gonna do when we get to that yellow word? I'll, I'll slip you that five later, thank you. Hey, all right, let's go. Remember, it is sin to no. what you ought to do and then not do it, all right? It is a, a sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. 
Uh, most of us, we have more than enough to work on and when it comes to our growth and our relationship with Jesus. If we would put into practice the things that we know we need to do, things that we know uh, we need to do. We've made it a, a point of emphasis at our house uh, with our boys. Uh, they help us with the dishes, all right? It's amazing, guys. Just them doing the silverware is so much help. It's awesome. They are really fantastic helpers, all right? And I'm, I'm bragging on my two boys right now. Uh, and when we first got them started, and maybe sometimes when they're tired and don't want to do it, this still happens, but they, they're doing really good. Uh, when we first got started unloading the dishwasher, all right, uh, and they would cr- come across something that they didn't know where it went, right? It did not go in like their normal cups drawer or like the, the silver drawer. That's basically what the most of the stuff they're doing. And when they got to the point where whenever they'd open up the dishwasher, uh, it's almost like their eyes were like targeting. Like, I'm gonna look for things that I have no idea what to do with. Why? Because they're gonna go grab it. And what are they gonna do? They're gonna come to me and Kels. They're gonna find mom and dad and say, where does this go? And why are they looking for the things that they don't know where they go? because they are trying to delay doing all the things that they do know where it goes, right? Like they may know where 90% of this goes, but they're gonna have their eyes focused on the 5% where I don't know where that goes and it's gonna kill some time, right? And every time, every time they come to mom and dad, where does this go? They get the same response. Put away all the things that you know where they go and then we'll take care of the things that you don't. We are just like kids. Instead of focusing on and doing the things we know we need to do, we tend to focus on the things that we aren't sure we need to do, the question marks in life, the the what ifs, the maybes, the I, I don't know. We need to do the things that we know we need to do. So as we jump into this passage, we jump into chapter five, I want you to ask yourself the question, am I doing what I know I need to do? Are you doing what you know you need to be doing? This is not me coming down on you. This is you coming down on you. Are you doing the things that you know you need to be doing? So chew on that question as we go throughout this whole uh, passage here. All right, we're going to go over one more. There we go. Boom. All right. James 5, verse 1. This is two words back to back in yellow. Can we handle this? All right, you guys ready? All right. Look here, you That was good, guys. Great job. Hey, look here, you rich people. Weep and groan with anguish because of all the terrible troubles ahead of you. Verse two. Your wealth is rotting away and your fine clothes are moth-eaten rags. Your gold and silver are corroded. Your very wealth you are counting on will eat away your flesh like fire. This corroded treasure you have hoarded will testify against you on the day of judgment. I know uh, many of you in this room, when you hear, uh, you guys, we said rich people, uh, many of you guys would not consider yourselves uh, rich people, mostly because uh, you you don't feel rich, right? Like, if I was to say, who feels rich in here? I don't think there'd be a ton of hands. Like, yeah, I feel real rich, you know? Uh, But here's the deal. Uh, the reason we don't feel that way is because we tend to look at people who have more than us. They have more wealth than us. We think, I'm not there. Uh, if you're in America, uh, globally speaking, uh, com- chances are if you're in America compared to like a lot of the world, you are doing very well. 
I saw one stat, there's a lot of stats you can go into on this, just one that I thought was interesting. If you have a net worth of a little over $4,000, it was like $4,100, $4,200, like net worth. You don't even have to have that cash. You could be driving around with that thing, okay? You are in the top 50% of wealth in the world, okay? We need to quit comparing ourselves to our neighbors and trying to find value that way. We need to look to God for our value. James says to weep and groan because of all the terrible troubles ahead of you. Uh, He is saying this because so many, so many who have some wealth, and I'm talking to everybody here, so many who have some wealth at their disposal, uh, we tend to cling to it, to find our value from it, to find our identity in it. And he describes the terrible that's coming in verse Two, it says, your wealth is rotting away. Your, your fine clothes are like moth-eaten rags. He's saying that all the things that you accumulate, they are going to one day be gone. It will all rot away. He says, your treasure that you've hoarded will testify against you. That the things you've amassed, they will testify against you. Uh, So the stuff that you thought was a blessing, he's saying it actually might be uh, a curse. And here's what he's kind of talking about. Let's go to verse four. It's gonna lay it out for us. For listen, hear the cries of the field workers whom you have cheated of their pay. The cries of those who harvest your fields have reached the ears of the Lord of heaven's armies. You have spent your years on earth in luxury, satisfying your every desire. You have fattened yourself for the day of slaughter. You have condemned and killed innocent people who do not resist you. Uh, Again, does anybody feel like that rich person? (laughs) Maybe you don't don't wanna relate to that one right now. Um, The reason that it says your treasures Right, and I want you to think about this in a global perspective that your treasures condemn you is because you had luxury, you satisfied your every desire. Uh, all the while, we have people around us that we have the power to help, and we don't. And, and in some cases, extreme cases it talked about there, people have the power, have that kind of power, and not only do they not do it, they actually cheat people of what is there. And so we're gonna hang out here for a minute and I just wanna be honest, I don't like talking about money. It's actually not a subject that I'd be like, today we're gonna talk about cha-ching cash, right? It's something that, to be honest, my wiring, I would shy away from it, especially on a Sunday. Uh, but uh, I'm not here on stage to give you guys my thoughts and opinions. I'm here to give you uh, God's thoughts and God's opinions that he's given us here in the word. So I wanna give you the whole counsel of God. And right here, it's talking about money. So just for a few minutes, we're gonna go there, all right? Because it's not about what I wanna talk about, it's about scripture, I didn't get an amen on that. I didn't get, it's not about me. It's about God's word. And so I wanna start here. Riches or wealth? Uh, I know that seemed a little harsh there. Uh, Riches and and being wealthy, that is not immoral. To have uh, wealth is not immoral. Uh, To have wealth or to be rich is not uh, immoral and neither is it moral. In the hands of an immoral person, wealth can bring about actually more immorality. Can that make them do more evil things? In the hands of a moral person, it can actually, riches can actually bring about great things. Money is not evil. Uh, There's a verse that some people get the idea that money is evil, and I want you to help me out with it right here. Um, It's 1 Timothy 6. There we go. For the of money is the root of all kinds of evil, 
And some people craving money have wandered from the truth, wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. See, money is not evil. It says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some want money so bad, they're gonna leave their faith, they're gonna wander from their faith because I want more money. And it says in doing so, they actually increase their sorrows and that's because money doesn't make people happy. Money is not gonna make you happy. There are plenty of people with way more zeros in my bank account that, have, uh, that are depressed, all right, that have no joy in their lives. Money is not gonna make you happy. And so I want you to just say, I want to say this, wherever you are at, whether you feel like you've got lots or maybe you feel like I've just got a little, what God wants is for you to honor him with whatever wealth, with whatever you have. It's not having about a lot, it's not having about a little, it's about honoring him with what he's given. You remember Jesus, he told the parable of the talents. And it goes like this. I'm going to give you the the Logan Key version. All right, this is just a new translation, so just bear with me. There's a man going on a long business trip, and he called together three of his employees, three of employees, and he entrusted some money to them. Uh, One guy, he gave five bags of money. Another guy, he gave two bags of money. Another guy, he gave one bag of money. And it says he divided it proportionate with their abilities. So this business guy, he goes on his long trip. When he returns, Uh, He goes and meets with these three employees. The guy that he gave five bags to had invested those five bags, and he had five more bags, right? He doubled it. Pretty awesome. Uh, The guy who had two, he'd given two bags. He'd worked and invested some, and he gave two more bags back. Then you get to the last guy, the guy who had one bag. And it says, this inscription said that he was afraid to lose it. He had it, and he did not want to lose it. So he literally went and dug a hole, and when his master came back, he was like, look, I didn't lose any of it. It's right there. It's waiting. I still got it. Uh, The master was very happy with the guy with the five bags. He was happy with the guy with the two bags. And then the guy with the one, he was like, what are you doing? You could have at least put it in the bank. Could have got some interest there. So he takes that one bag from that man. He gives it to the one that had the five bags that doubled it. And Jesus finished the parable with this. Uh, It's Matthew 25, uh, I believe verse 19. We're gonna go two over here, okay? To those who use well what they are given. I wanna just pause right there. It doesn't say to those who have a lot and use it well. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an... But from those who do... Nothing, even what little they have, will be taken away. See, money is not evil, and money is not a good thing. It is simply an instrument or a tool that can be used uh, for either. And my question for you is, are you honoring God with what he has entrusted you? Or are we like that man who got the one back? Are we afraid to lose what we have? Be afraid to lose what we have. I want you to remember the first verse that we talked about here, verse, uh, chapter four, verse 17. Remember, it is sin to no. what you ought to do and then not do it. All right, so I just want to be real. We are all 100% in this room in different places. 
And so uh, for you to honor God with your finances, honor God with what he's entrusted to you, whether that's a lot or whether that's a little, uh, it might look a little bit different for everybody in here. For someone here, it might be, hey, I'm gonna start to tie, the tithe being 10% of my income, going to the church uh, to continue the work of the ministry. For others, honoring God might look like uh, spending less on eating out or spending less on frivolous things and serving people who are around me. Uh, maybe it's just uh, buying that family dinner or just looking for opportunities to be a blessing. And uh, maybe the, the tangible way to honor God with your finances is actually, I'm gonna create some margin to, so that when God tells me to do something, I have the ability to say yes. Uh, this is not, uh, I just wanna be clear, this is not me putting pressure on anybody trying to get more money for the church. I want the word of God to inform your lives and how you live. Uh, this is scripture, and that includes uh, how we handle our finances. Scripture talks about it a lot. So I want you to make sure that you are honoring God in your finances. And I want you to take a step to make that true in your life. Because here's I don't think we ever get to stop. I don't think we ever get to say, that's it. I've done my piece. I'm good. I want you to take the next step. Because here's the deal. The world has a way that they would like for you to operate and how you should behave with your money. And I think it's funny, a lot, a lot of Christians, we can get so informed with how to invest, so informed with how to manage our money from people outside of the church. And I'm not saying those are bad things, but we are uninformed with how the Bible says we should handle our finances. And I think it should be the opposite way around. I think we should be more informed with what God's word has to say than what the latest financial guru has to say, okay? Now, uh, this is the last chapter of James, chapter five, and it, it almost feels like these next handful of verses and a little bit next week, it's gonna feel like, um, like I just feel like James is writing this, and like he's like, oh, I got more to go, and I'm about out of paper. And so instead of having that nice like transition sentence where he goes from one thought to another, it's just like he just writes down the thought. Can you feel me on that? You ever been there? It's like, I gotta squeeze this in. That's kind of how it's gonna feel here at the end of James. He's gonna hit us with a lot of stuff. So as James shifts gears, uh, we're gonna shift gears with him. Okay, let's go to the next verse there. Dear brothers and sisters, be as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the farmers who wait for the rains in the fall and in the spring. They eagerly look for the valuable harvest to ripen. A devil tapped, I guess. There we go. You too must be. Take courage, for the coming of the Lord is near. Don't grumble about each other, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. For look, the judge is standing at the door. I told you, he's gonna shift gears uh, pretty quick there. We were talking about money to be impatient and enduring. Uh, to be patient as you wait for Jesus to uh, return. It's easy uh, to lose our patience. I told you, I'm coaching an 8U basketball team. It's easy uh, to lose your patience a little bit, all right? It's, it's easy. It's easy to lose our focus. It's easy to get distracted. Uh, and so I want to give you uh, a little bit of an example. Um, Kelsey and I, I think I've shared this before, we've, we've been hooked on Survivor for a little while now, uh, maybe a year or so. Uh, my money's on Cody for this current season, if anybody's watching. But anyways, uh, on Survivor, they have this challenge where uh, it starts out easy. And, you know, it's a, it's a game. So, like, as it starts, it gets easy. And then as it goes along, it gets harder and harder and harder. And uh, they have this one where uh, they, they put one arm behind your back. 
and they give you like, like almost like a, just like a pool table ball, all right? And so you put it in this little thing, and it drops, and it spins, and then it comes down this one thing, and they've got this like thing, and so after it goes this way, it'll make the ball go that way, and then when it comes the next time, it'll make it go to this way. So it can come out of one, or this, like this one or this one, and they start with one ball, and then it comes down, and they grab it, and then they have to put it back up, and then it comes down, and then it comes out this way, put it up there next, like it just goes back and forth. Um, you can use one hand, you just put it up top, get it. It's, I mean, it's like your kids could do this. It is not that hard to do. Now, eventually they, they add more and it gets more complicated, uh, but, but here's the thing. Almost every time that they do this challenge, they will have someone who messes up when there is just one ball. Like, I can get it, like if there's two or three or four, like that, because it gets kind of wild, but when there's just one, you drop it and then you come here and you wait. And then you drop it, and then you come here and you wait. It is so simple. It is not that complicated. They could handle that. It was not too much for their body. It was not too much for their brain to handle. Here's what they couldn't do. They weren't patient. They could not focus on it. What happened is they got complacent. I can do this without even thinking about it. And then they got distracted, and then it fell. And we do the same thing with our walk with Christ. We get things going well. I'm in the Word. I'm, I'm going to my small group. I'm coming on Sundays. I'm serving. And then we think things are going well. We put our guard down, and then we get into trouble. This verse says, be patient as you wait for Jesus to return. Do not get distracted by stuff. It's not hard to get distracted. It's actually really easy. And that's why you have to be patient, to focus on the right things. Uh, let's go to the next verse here. He, he kind of, James kind of continues with this thread. For examples of patience and suffering, brothers and sisters, look at the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We give great honor to those who endure suffering. For instance, you know about Job, a man of great endurance. You can see how the Lord was kind to him at the end. For the Lord is full of tenderness and mercy. I almost said Job. His name is Job, but when I was reading it, I was like, it almost came out, Job. A uh, quick story about Job. Uh, Job was a man, this is the Logan Key translation again, but hey, he was a man who literally lost everything you could imagine. He lost his health. He lost his wealth. He lost his family. He, he's gonna lose his friends. I mean, literally everything that you could imagine, and he would not curse God. Said he was a man of great endurance. Uh, and I want to put a pin in it. We're not going to go down this hole too far, but he did have questions for God during those times. But he didn't curse or forsake God. We have to have that same kind of patience. All right, I'm going to go back to Survivor. When those people are going through those challenges, they are enduring being uh, hungry. They don't get to eat tired. They're sleeping on like this bamboo cot, mentally spent. And the reason they get through that is because they are focused on that prize and, and what that money could do for, for their lives and not only themselves. You can hear people talk about, how did you do it? I was thinking about my family. I was thinking about what it could do for them. And when their mind is right, when they're focused on the right thing, it lets them do incredible feats, things that don't even seem like they should be possible. When we go through challenging and difficult times, what is it that keeps you going? What is it that keeps you going? Uh, James gives us the answer there in verse seven. 
be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. We need to endure. We need to have patience because here's the truth. One day, one day Jesus will return. One day he will restore everything back to perfection. That is a promise. That is going to happen. Be patient. Cling to that promise. Cling to it. Remember, James, is, he's, he's, he's nearing the end here. He's running out of parchment, so he's moving quick. Let's go to verse 12. He says this. But most of all, my brothers and sisters, never take an oath by heaven or earth or anything else. Just say a simple yes or no so that you will not sin and be condemned. Let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. Does anybody have a friend that is always quick to commit to something when you're in person? Like when you're embodied and next to them, they're like, let's do it. And then when it's time to like follow through and actually do it, it's like, ah, I cannot make it. Have you ever, does anybody have a friend like that? Raise your hand, all right? If your hand's not raised, you're that friend, all right? Don't be, don't be that friend. Uh, but hey, just a simple yes, let your yes be yes, and let your no be no. I heard someone say that if someone asks you to do something, you should imagine if that thing uh, were 48 hours away, and if it's like two days away, and you would say no, it doesn't matter if it's six months away, you should probably just say no anyways, because when it gets six months down the road, and it actually is 48 hours, you're going to be looking for ways to get out of it. Uh, let your yes be yes, and let your no be no. And here's the deal, James isn't talking about us getting together with friends, helping someone move. He's not talking about something just hanging out. James is saying, when you make a commitment to God, let your yes be yes and let your no be no. When you make a commitment to God, it needs to be a real commitment. You can't take those things lightly. Not yes, I want to, and then when that time comes for you to do it, it's like, ah, I don't think I'm gonna do it. I think I'm gonna be no, say no. Let your yes be yes, let your no be no. And here's the deal. God doesn't want empty words from you. He doesn't want you to say the right thing. Always comes back to the heart. God wants your heart. He wants your heart. Does he have your heart? Does he have your heart? If he does, it's going to change everything we've talked about. It's gonna change the way that you make those commitments. The way you make those commitments to friends, yes, but with the way that you make commitments to him. If God has your heart, it's gonna change the way you endure, you, the way that you have patience in those trying times because he has my heart and I believe Jesus is going to come back. He will change the way you operate with your finances because when God has your heart, he has all of you. Not just a little part over here and a little part over here. Not just for a couple hours on Sunday. If God has your heart, he has your life. He has everything. Does God have your heart? What areas in your life do you need to open up? And just to be real and say, God, I need you to do some work over here in this part of my life. I need you to do a work at this part of my life. Let's go back to James 4, 17. Remember, it is a sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. 
you can trust him. And here's the deal. I believe God has put something on every heart in here. Not that you're question marking about, not that you're saying maybe. I believe God has put something on your heart that you know you need to do. It could be something we talked about today. It could be something completely unrelated. But I believe everybody here has a next step in your faith journey. So I'm gonna pray for us that we would be open to whatever that next step is. Whatever next step God is calling you to, that you would just be open. We'd match that posture of surrender we had at the beginning. We said, God, I want what you want. I know this is my next step. I'm going to take it, and I mean it. Let's pray.